Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, I'm Sandy Tutwiler, and I will be reading Mark 12, 28 through 34. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel. Listen, our God is the one Lord and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your being, with all of your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The legal expert said to him, well said teacher, You've truthfully said that God is the one and there is no other beside him. And to love God with all your heart, a full understanding and all of one's strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered with wisdom, he said to them, you aren't far from God's kingdom. With that, No one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sandy, thank you for reading the scripture for us today. We very much appreciate you doing that. So we start a new series today, a new series that I hope is helpful for the beginning of the new year. I know you know, this is the time of year we sometimes think, I should go back to church. And so uh, this is a, maybe a series that will kind of capture your attention, capture your imagination as we go through some of these God-sized questions uh, for today and then the next three Sundays beyond here. Uh, God-sized questions, you know what I mean. It's those times that you, you have some kind of experience in life, and, and it might be wonderful and magical and uh, miraculous, where it might be difficult and heartbreaking and tragic. And you or somebody says, well, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. We've all had those experiences one way or another. And often when we say that, well, that's kind of the end of it, right? It's it's like we continue to chew on that. We continue to think on that. Well, I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. Of course, that's making a big assumption, right? That's a joke. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not looking at anybody in particular when I say that. Because it, takes, it, it can take a lot of concerted mental energy to kind of wrestle with some of the big, hard questions of life. And it takes courage. And so we tend not to do that very often. So in this series, I'm, and there's going to be things I say that you may you may completely agree with, and you'll nod your head, and you'll say, yep, that's right. I agree with that. I may say some things in this series that you may go, wait a second, I don't know about that. That's right. We're all learning together. I'm still learning. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes we preachers will say something kind of early in the career, and then, you know, 15, 20 years later, we go, you know, I think I interpreted that scripture wrong. I I need to grow. I need to learn from this. So, we're all growing. We're all learning in this together. So today, that question, is the Bible true? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, right? 
I mean, I, I, since I was about 14, 15 years old, I got real serious about reading the Bible, studying the Bible, understanding the Bible. I've spent uh, a career <laughs> teaching the Bible. Yes, I believe the Bible is true. I mean, there's your short answer. If you're wondering, does our pastor think the Bible is true? Yes, I do. The, I believe the Bible is true. And all of that, one of the things, primary foundational kinds of things I've learned that has been helpful to me uh, that I, it's kind of my, it's kind of my home base, right? It's kind of my place of, of a sense of safety and comfort and confidence in God is the truism that God is good all the time. God is good all the time. There's even a call and response. Some churches have done this. Some of you might have uh, been in a place where they did this, where the pastor says, God is good. And then you say all the time and all the time. Oh, that was pretty good practice. Okay. So God is good and all the time. Friends, that is true all day long. That is true all day long. And when we face sometimes these God-sized questions or these things that we just don't know, cling to that. Cling to that. The Bible teaches that God is good all the time. So we're going to hold on to that. So let me just, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm still in the process of getting over a cold. So every now and then I may cough or something, just hack up a lung. I don't know. We'll see. I'll try not to. <clears throat> so just a little uh, background about the Bible that I think uh, might be helpful because if you, if you don't know much about the Bible and you come to the Bible think, looking for, for answers to things or information about things, sometimes we ask questions of the Bible that's not necessarily intended to answer. So it's helpful to know some things, some, just some background as we go. One of those is that just the word Bible is not a Christian word. It just means book or books, collection of books. So a person who is a, and I'll, I can probably get a witness, somebody here, a person who is a bibliophile is a lover and collector of books, right, of books. Now, of course, we call the, our Bible the Holy Bible because it is sacred to us. It contains the sacred writings that we believe express the story of God and God's salvation for all the world. Now, these writings, it's like, it's like a library that we have in our Bible. These writings were written over a period of about 1,200 years. Now, yes, it all kind of happened in the same region on our planet. I mean, from, from, uh, from Italy and Greece and, and around uh, the uh, uh, eastern side of the, of the Mediterranean and into Egypt, that area. But still, different people, different communities, different circumstances over 1,200 years. And put all those together. And of course, it's a translation. What we have is a translation into English. Chapters and verses were added later. Even, even reading Mark 12, 28, right? So you know where to turn. But those numbers, that wasn't until the mid-16th century. The first published Bible uh, that, that had chapters and verses in it was in Europe. And it was in about 1560. And, and one that'll, that's important for us to know today, especially as I reflect on the Scripture here in a few minutes, is that the New Testament, what you and I think about, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all the way to Revelation, the New Testament did not exist during Jesus' lifetime. So that's maybe something you, you know or you don't know about the Bible. It did not exist. So in, in the Bible, when Jesus, here in a little while, talks about the Scripture, he's talking about what you and I would think of as the Old Testament. 
the Hebrew Bible. So, that's just a little background information. So, let me talk about how the study of the Bible made a big change that got us kind of where we are today. Because I don't know about you, but there's, there's a sense sometimes of a battle for the Bible. <laughs> I'll see, see a few heads nodding. Yeah. Um, a, about 150 years ago, late 19th century, uh, some people in, in universities in Germany began to study the Bible differently than it had been studied before. Uh, up till then, it was just a matter of faith and theology in, in the study of the Bible. But late 19th century, there were other people who were studying ancient texts from other places, ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, ancient Babylonian Empire, ancient Persian Empire, and they began to study ancient texts asking questions of archaeology, asking questions of language, asking questions of uh, related history. Well, that really hadn't been done so much with the Bible, and so these scholars began to do that with the Bible and began to study it in a different way. And some of them began to come to some different conclusions than what the church had taught for a long time. And so where that led, ultimately, was that there were some, not not all scholars, but some who began to say, the Bible is just a myth. It's a collection of myths. So you just need to know that when you read the Bible, it's a myth. We can maybe imagine the reaction to that. Oh, no, it's not. It is literal. Says what it means, means what it says. So there you go. And some of the arguments that you may hear today, they have roots right there. In what you would call, some people love hearing words like this, so I'll, I'll use it here and then I'll back off of it. It's a false dichotomy. Ever heard that? False dichotomy? Where you pose two ideas as if that's, that's your only choice. There's no other option. And they're generally polar opposite choices. So you have to choose this or you have to choose this. Now, many people find themselves somewhere in the middle. Find themselves somewhere in the middle and maybe afraid to say, well, I kind of think that might be true because somebody's going to try to convince you they're right and you're wrong. I don't know about you, I've been in some of those kinds of conversations. Well, most people are somewhere in the middle. And this is part of why it's difficult to have conversations about the Bible in in a lot of cases because people become very entrenched in their position. And and, and it's just those conversations, arguments, sometimes it's more about being someone just being right than it is about understanding the Bible and understanding the Scripture. Like I said, it takes courage sometimes to face some of these things. Because we humans like simple answers. We like simple answers. We prefer simple answers. When we go to the doctor and we say, man, my throat is killing me. I can hardly swallow. What we want is for them to do a swab and, and come back 10 minutes later and say, you have strep throat. Here's a pack. Two or three days, you're going to feel much better. Easy answer. Great. Boof. That's what we like. What we don't like is when the doctor, uh, uh, when he or she walks in and, and goes, man, we don't know. We don't know what that is. I mean, it could be this, it could be that, it could be. And so we need to do more tests. 
Oh, that's the worst, right? Because you want to know something, we want an answer. And so they, sometimes they even send you to another doctor, and then you've got to go through those tests and wait for those results, and you're just like, good grief. We hate that. We want to know an answer. And so what happens is sometimes we'll land on an answer, not because the answer is right, but because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. Often the simple answers, that's the function of a simple answer to something, is it helps me to feel secure. I know the answer. So you can apply that to how people often look at the Bible. They want the simple answer. Because complexity and ambiguity does not help. <laughs> we don't feel great about that. And that's where I often, I, for myself, I always go back to that home base, that God is good. All the time and all the time. Yeah, I go back to that home base that even in the struggle and the questions and, man, I don't know what it means when it says that. Does that seem right? I, I fall back on that home base. And now I'm in a safe place to ask big questions. So, let's look at this example that, that Sandy read on the Scripture a little bit ago from Mark 12. <clears throat> Mark 12 is a, a whole chapter. I'm about to cough. I'm so sorry. Where was I? Mark 12. Mark 12 is a series of conversations, often in the form of arguments and confrontations, with different groups of religious people who were challenging Jesus. Now, this starts early in the Gospel of Mark, and you see this, this thread all the way through the Gospel of Mark that way back in chapter 2, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy because he forgives somebody's sin. Also in chapter 2, they, they evaluate Jesus and his authority and his goodness based on his dinner company. Some scribes, some legal experts said he had Beelzebul, a, a demon, inside of him. Uh, they, they questioned his and his disciples' hand-washing practices based on a Levitical law in the Bible. I mean, just on and on and on. And they always reference, the Scripture teaches this, Jesus, and you're messing it up. They were using the Bible in their day to criticize and confront Jesus. So when you get to Mark 12, there are these two arguments that happened right before the Scripture that was read. <clears throat> One of them had to do with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a, a group within the Jewish faith of that day, uh, and, and they, were very, they, were, they were a much more kind of a strict observance of the, of the Scripture. Is <clears throat> what they believed in. And in this uh, observance, they asked Jesus a question. They often tried to catch him in a, you know, where it's something he didn't know how to answer. So he said, what about paying taxes, Jesus? Are we supposed to pay taxes? Because you see, the Pharisees believed paying taxes to Caesar, we're not talking about a democratic government, we're talking about the Roman Empire. Paying taxes, they believed paying, paying taxes to Caesar was like uh, uh, making offerings to a false idol, because... The, because the emperor believed he was God. So we should not have to pay taxes. They asked, that, so right? Then you have another group within uh, the Jewish faith at that time called the Sadducees. I mean, think, you know, this is Methodists and Baptists, or it's Presbyterians and Catholics, right? And you have different groups within the faith. And so 
And so they were asking Jesus about resurrection. Because you see, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection, didn't believe in resurrection. While the Pharisees did. Using the same Bible, they disagreed on whether or not resurrection was a thing with God. Now, with all of these conversations and confrontations and arguments, Jesus always answered wisely and judiciously. And often, because of the way he answered, they would be like, well, now we're stumped. We don't know what to say next. He always answered wisely. And so, so he gets to, so there's, there's a, it says a legal expert has been observing this. Now, a legal expert, some translations will say he was a scribe. So, so a scribe is a person, who, he would have been a Pharisee. And a scribe is a person who would literally copy down the scripture. You know, so we have a new hey, we have a new synagogue in town, and they need a they need a scroll of the scripture. Well, somebody had to write that down. They didn't have scanners, so somebody had to literally write that. So that was part of his job. So that so you do that a few times, you're going to know what the scripture says, where it says it, what's going on, and so scribes are often uh, teachers. So when it says a legal expert, it doesn't mean like a civic law expert. It's a religious law expert. This is someone who knew the Scripture really well. And so he goes over to Jesus and he says a different question. If there's no other takeaway for you today than this, know that when you feel stumped by something the Bible says, start asking different questions than what you've been asking before. Ask a different question. So he goes over to Jesus to ask a different question in the context of all this arguing about the Bible. And he says to Jesus, okay, so what is the greatest commandment? Different question anybody else has asked him. And so Jesus simply refers to the Bible of his day. And this is what he said. He takes first this from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, Jesus didn't make this up on the spot. He went back to the Scripture and said, and quoted that. And then he said, and the second one is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself, which is in Leviticus. He went back to the Scripture. So of all the Scripture Jesus could have quoted, he summoned the meaning of the original Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments start off the first four about how we, we relate to God. And the next six are about how we relate to one another. And he encapsulates that from the, from the teaching in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And the scribe, and the scribe was impressed that basically the law of God, the most important thing to know is certainly that there's one God. And the point is to love God and love people. I mean, that's another call and response right there. We're going to do that. Love God. Love people. And that is true all day long. That is true all day long. And if we miss that point about anything else in the Bible, then we miss it. (laughs) We miss it. That's where we start and grow out from there. So the scribe indicates that Jesus, as a matter of fact, he calls him teacher, you know, rabbi. You have answered truthfully. <laughs> true. Your answer is true, Jesus, he says. 
Then he expands on it a little bit and just says, yeah, that's right. Loving, loving people is far more important than, than getting all the little necessities right, making sure that, you know, you have the right kind of music at church and making sure you have the right everything. Mm, no. Loving people is more important. And so Jesus notes that that answer of the scribe is wisdom. He answered wisely. Now, those are two things I think have to be held together when we talk about the Bible at any time. It's not only truth, but wisdom. And so, we kind of get to a different place in the question. We need to ask a different question. The question is not simply about whether the Bible is true, but more about am I truthful and wise in my understanding and in how I apply the teaching of the Scripture in my life. Because it's one thing to talk about the Bible over there as an object. Is it true or is it not? The question really, the, the question the Bible actually asks is, is it true in me? Is it true in me? So we have to always ask that question of, does my understanding, interpretation match the foundational teaching of the Scripture? Does it reflect wisdom in how I apply it? Because there's always going to be disagreements and arguments about the Bible. Those will continue. And we're different people wind up in different places, and we're going to have some disagreements. So have your convictions, yes, about the Scripture. Have your convictions about what you believe it says about all the things that the Bible talks about. Absolutely. And have humility to know that you don't know it all yet. And you might learn some things along the way that you might even change your mind on something. So when I think of the truth of the Scripture, and I think of the, the depth of the meaning of Scripture, I think, I think of two different things. One is, is another story in the Bible. And that is when Jesus has, uh, he died on the cross, they put him in the tomb, and he came out, he was resurrected. He is alive. And he began to appear to people. So, but, but, but it was time for some people who had been in Jerusalem to go home, and so they were headed down the road to this village called Emmaus. And as they're going along, this guy joins them. They don't recognize who he is. And he, said, and, and he begins to talk about all the things that just happened in Jerusalem, and the disciples are like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. But this guy starts telling them, but it says in the Scripture, it says in the Bible, these things will happen. Now, when they get to Emmaus... We don't know why it was a mystery at the time, but when they get to Emmaus, they recognize that guy was Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And they're like, oh, now we see how he opened our minds to the teaching of the Scripture. You know, and, and I read that and I reflect on that and I think, my goodness, if the people who were with Jesus 24-7 for three years, who heard all the teaching, they saw the miracles, they, um, they, they heard those conversations and arguments that people approached Jesus, all those things, if they needed help understanding this is what the Bible meant by that, we probably need some help too. We probably don't have all the answers yet either. We still need Jesus to open our minds to the meaning of the Scripture. The other thing I think about when I think about the truth and depth of the Bible is I, I think of the ocean. I think of the ocean. Uh, most, of you, most of you know, or a lot of you know at least, I was raised in the area right around Lubbock. You know, in the first service they laughed at that. But really, 
it was around Lubbock. I, I like Lubbock for lots of reasons. But if you've ever been up there, well, you might understand my fascination with large bodies of water. Because there just there aren't any up there. So I've always been fascinated by large bodies of water. And so learning about oceans has always fascinated me. And, you know, and there's things that we all learn. You, you learn this in school, right? That about two-thirds of the planet are covered with the oceans. Uh, that the salinity, the, the, the salt water uh, ratio in the, in the ocean water is about the same as the salt water in our bodies. Uh, we learn that there are the currents. Uh, there's high tide and there's low tide, and we know that there's some uh, fish and mammals that can live in salt water, but not in fresh water. I'm like live in fresh water, not, not in salt water. You learn these things, and you know they're true. Those things are true. And then you hear some oceanographer who spends a career studying it say, man, there are still so much we don't know about the ocean. There are places we have yet to explore. There are questions we haven't asked yet because we don't even know the right questions on some things. We continue to explore and learn more about the ocean. And I think, what a great way to think about the Bible. There are things we know are true. We can, we can resonate with that and say, yep, those things are true. At the same time, there is a depth to the Scripture we have not yet gone to. So we continue to learn and to grow. We continue to have our convictions and be open to learning. And we continue to know that God is good. And all the time. And we're going to love God. Love people. Love people. Yeah. Those things are true all day long. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for uh, the Scripture that we have, the, the written witness of those from thousands of years ago who testify to your power, to your goodness, and to your love. We thank you for that written witness that we can read and we can absorb and we can apply to our own lives. And we thank you for that witness that continued. It was, it was made complete in the person of Jesus, that the Word became flesh. And so your Word becomes alive in Him, and we can see and hear what it means to live out the Scripture in our lives. So God, may we, may we not look at the Bible simply as an object of study, but may we see it as a word for us. May we see it as a question directed to us so that we would be truthful to the Scripture, that we would be true to the Bible and wise in our living. Help us, God, to be the examples of the Scripture in the world around us so that people will see your goodness and your love in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.